Hello, I'm Cameron Cole, and I'm the director of Children, Youth, and Family at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, and this is a faith and family podcast. We'll be talking about the intersection between parenting and ministering to kids and how talking about how it intersects with the gospel and God's truth. Um, and so today we're going to talk about the gospel identity catechism. Uh, last week we talked about just the gospel catechism in general. Today we're going to talk about identity in uh, children and teenagers um, and how it is that uh, we can help kids have a, a stable, true, um, and healthy identity that's grounded in what Jesus has done and what Jesus has given to them. And so to start, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about this term catechism quite a, quite a bit, and catechism is a way that the church historically has um, has taught uh, has taught new converts and taught children um, the doctrines and truth of the Christian faith um, throughout throughout time. And, and starting in the Reformation with Martin Luther, one of the forms of this became question and answer formats. So. You ask a kid a question, what is our only hope in life and death? Their response, that we are not our own, but belong to God. Uh, another question, what is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. Um, and so that, those are examples of catechism questions that are designed to help, um, help kids and help uh, new Christians learn the basic truths and beliefs of Christianity. And so the gospel catechism that I'm talking about is this. Uh, it is... Who does the Spirit say you are? The answer, one who is washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? Answer, one who is forgiven and righteous. Next, who does the Father say you are? Answer, one who is an adopted child of God. Who are you? Answer, a sinner saved by grace. And so this is a catechism that I wrote uh, several years ago that, that we've used a fair amount with our teenagers and helping them develop an identity that's grounded in Christ. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at first just identity formation in kids from a, a, a developmental psychology standpoint. Then we're going to look at kind of some of the you know society's um, conceptualization of identity, um, how the world, particularly today in modern times, how the world looks at um, how you form identity. And then finally, we're going to look at a true identity. Um, true identity in Christ and, and how it is that this gospel catechism helps a child to understand their own identity in those terms. And so, you know, to start, um, you know, developmental psychology tells us that in early adolescent and, and adolescent phases, that a major part of child development is identity formation. Okay, so what, what is identity formation? It's a term that everyone uses a lot, but what does it actually mean? Well, you know, here's one definition: uh, it's is that it's a person's mental representation of who or she, who who he or she is, um, and it's, so you know we might use this kind of secular cliche language of like it's finding out who you are, um, and uh, and you know identity formation is massive in our culture today. Um, it is. Um, it, it is all over the place. It is seen as kind of like the holy grail for personal fulfillment, personal stability. Um, and so that's, that's one definition. And, you know, with identity formation, there, there are kind of two components. One is having a sense of personal continuity. So it's, it's you know, it's discovering this is who I am and that is something that is timeless. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's kind of a comfort in having that 
kind of stable self-identification. And then secondly, it's uh, discovering your uniqueness from other people. Um, so, you know, what makes me different? What makes me special? What gives me significance or worth? And so, um, and so with that being said, you know, in the adolescent years, uh, identity formation is one of the central kind of endeavors or developments that a kid is experiencing. And this, this really, uh, you know, we don't, you don't want to put, you know, hard parameters on when does adolescence start? Cause every child is different and they, you know, emotionally, uh, psychologically and physically develop, you know, at very different speeds um, and times. Um, but, you know, in general, I, if I had to say a marker, this, this identity formation really starts to come on in late elementary school, say fourth and fifth grade, and it majorly hits um, a pitch in middle school and continues through high school. And honestly, for a lot of people, um, you know, into say like the college, college age years, um, but, you know, Eric Erickson is one of the primary scholars who um, is a developmental psychologist who kind of tapped into this and wrote about this. Uh, he's one of the pioneers in, in thinking about, uh, you know, basically the different phases of development, but particularly this identity formation in adolescence. And so, um, so with Erickson, he said it's, you know, for a lot of what's going on with a child is that they are trying to integrate their past experience to kind of figure out who they are. Um, you know, and they're looking at, you know, looking back at successes and trials and triumphs and so on and so forth and trying to integrate that into a sense of personal identity. And so, you know, around, uh, say, middle school, it's very common that, that teenagers experience a identity crisis, um, you know, because they are there's this kind of instability. They, they're figuring out, wow, I need an identity. And yet they haven't quite been able to put it all together. And so as a result of that, some pretty typical teenage experience is explained by this identity crisis. One example would be how uh, teenagers can tend to over-identify with bands or celebrities or musicians. It's very common during these times that like, a teenage girl becomes just obsessed with a certain, you know, boy band or a female musician or that guys over identify with an athlete or a band or, you know, a male, male musician or whatever it may be. Uh, and they put up, you know, they're obsessed with going to the concert and they want to put up the posters in the rooms or have it as their background on their phone, whatever it may be. A little bit of this, uh, some of this over-identification is they're trying to identify with someone who they perceive to have a solid or valuable identity, and they're kind of trying to project, project that or glean, glean from that other person's identity. Another way that you see this too is uh, that girls or boys can become boy crazy or girl crazy, just obsessed with romance and having a boyfriend or a girlfriend and and even, even in a way that's not even real, that's just kind of fantasy land and crushes and things like that. that that's also another way that they're trying, to, they're trying to kind of attach identity to something outside themselves. And then finally, they also form cliques because a lot of times that in adolescence, identity is based on affiliation with groups. And so whether that's a group of friends or that's a sports team or the dance team or the debate team or the band or whatever it is, 
a lot of a kid's identity they associate with groups. And so they really want to be in the group. And if they're, this is why kids can also be really exclusive about who is in and out of their social group. It's because if they perceive a difference, that kind of, uh, kind of undermines or infringes upon the, um, you know, the identity that that group provides. You know, if all the people in the group are alike, we're all really into heavy metal music or we're all really into this, and then there's someone who is not like that coming into the group, well, they kind of, that kind of starts to undermine the, this kind of false identity provision that, um, that, they, that they, you know, derive within the group. And so anyhow, those are just some ways that kids compensate for this identity crisis that's going on. Now, something that's very interesting um, that I've got kind of read recently um, about is how much identity formation um, factors into parenting. How much parents see their job to help their kid find their thing, so to speak. And there's a, um, a theologian and a youth scholar named Andrew Root at Luther Seminary in Minnesota. And he wrote a book called The End of Youth Ministry, which is um, honestly, I would say the, the title is, it has relevance to the practice of youth ministry. But quite honestly, I would say that two-thirds of the book are really about understanding Parent, parenting paradigms um, re- of teenagers relative to um, um, uh, uh, b- basically. Um, sorry, I lost my <laughs> lost my train of thought. Um, uh, basically, how parents see it as their job to help um, to help people. Um, to help people, uh, or sorry, help their kids find their identity. And so it's interesting because, you know, I think one thing that's, that's been, a, you know, commonly talked about and identified as a trend and, and, and perhaps a problem is kind of how kids are overscheduled and maybe have too many activities going on. And, you know, they're uh, so much related to sports or related to music or, um, or drama or school or whatever it is and how, you know, parents feel like they're just running carpool all the time and you know, managing their kids. It's interesting because Root, in his research, he has found that, um, that a lot of this kind of overactivity that kids have is in the name of identity construction. Now, historically, uh, if you go back a generation uh, and you look at the work of David Elkin, Elkin sees it more as a function of uh, competence and preparing kids for a market economy. Um, whereas Root argues more, and, and Root admits that this is his observations are not strict um, scientific uh, research. It's, it's more kind of um, qualitative hunches from conversations with parents and observations over time. Um, but Root says that it seems that a bigger driver for parents is to help their child find an identity. Um, and he, you know, he says help, he heard in his research, he found the term, I just want to help my child find their thing. And their thing is kind of, you know, um, kind of idiomatic for helping a child you know, find their identity. And so, um, and so parents feel like they cannot, you know, obviously cannot give the child an identity, but they need to help the child self-discover and find that largely through activities. 
And so what you see, you know, Rui was, was primarily studying Christian parents. But what he found is uh, a, you know, most of the Christian parents they talked to had really kind of embraced or espoused a... Um, uh, embraced or espoused a, um, a secular understanding of identity of, or secular paradigm of identity that really conflicts with what we see in, in the New Testament in particular. And so um, he talks about this identity recognition loop where a child um, is looking to have an established identity and they're looking to have that identity affirmed by the outside. And that's kind of where there seems to be this almost obsession in the culture of we need to affirm everybody, affirm everybody and things because, you know, that for that identity, that self-constructed identity to be solidified, they need something from the outside to affirm it. And if you don't affirm it, then, or you reject it, then you are undermining their, um, this identity construction. And, you know, if you're listening to this as a Christian, you say, well, you know, really what that heart desire is, is to be justified by God, um, to be justified, to have your sins forgiven and to be approved of by the Lord God. That's really at our heart, what we're all looking for. Um, and so anyhow, we'll get to that more in a second, but, you know, some critiques of this identity formation, um, of just, you know, uh, that, that, the kind of society has is first off, um, you know, and, and well, let me just first say that there are some, some, some some trends and characteristics of identity formation in the world. One is that identity comes from within. It's something that you self-construct. It's something that you determine and you self-engineer. And so that 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 is a trend in terms of um, in terms of like secular identity formation. Um, a second is identity is uh, achieved or it's earned. You know, a lot of times you know people see uh, their kids. Uh, you know, getting some big achievement or winning an award or getting on a certain team or having great success in an area as a, a, a means by which they they gain or establish their identity, and um, and so it's very it's very much achievement oriented by your performance and your effort. And then finally, you know, identity is um, kind of in a in a, a secular sense is something that is exclusively based on your story, your own experience. Um, you know, you kind of look at what you've done or what you've experienced and what you feel, and that is kind of, and from the experiential end, that is kind of the the, the limiting factor of um, the limiting factor uh, or li limiting context wherein a child would you know derive their identity. And so, um, and so with that being said, there are a couple of major critiques um, and major, major shortcomings of the kind of the world's, um, the world's um, model for identity formation. First, it's totally unstable. Um, you know, on one hand, if, if your identity is based on your performance, or it's based on anything external, it's totally unstable. Um, we've all seen this. Um, for, you know, for example, uh, you know, Paul Zoll was, I think, really, really someone who helps me kind of see this in some of the talks he did talking about identity. You, you know, who you are, what you think, what your experiences are, what you achieve, what you fail, it's changing all the time. 
Uh, and so, you know, to give you a picture of this, yeah, so many of you have probably seen the movie Friday Night Lights, where Booby Miles, the star football player, you know, at the high school, he is expected to go to college and to be a professional athlete. Well, Booby has a major knee injury, and it's a, it's a career ender in his senior year. And so, you know, there's this very sad scene where Booby goes and he cleans out his locker and he, um, you know, he's kind of playing it off like he's okay. But then he gets into, um, he gets into uh, the, his uncle's car, who's really his guardian, and he just starts to weep. He starts to absolutely sob and fall apart because he's saying, I can't do anything but play football. I can't do anything but play football. What am I going to do? And there's this sense of his whole identity that was based on being a star football player is gone. You, know, you can also see it in people who may have been you know, star athletes or really good at something in the past. And you know, in the words of Bruce Springsteen, you know, glory days, they'll pass you by. <laughs> they're, they're trying to kind of pitifully cling on to a past identity that's gone because it's unstable. Uh, and you know this was true for me. I was a I was um, a really good basketball player when I was in elementary school, largely because I was five feet tall in kindergarten. Uh, you have some major advantages when you are that big and that tall. Um, and I also swam from the time I was four years old, so I was pretty coordinated. And so I dominated little league basketball. I lost like two games when I was, um, you know, age from second grade to fourth grade. Won the championship two of the years. Well, there's this wild thing called puberty um, that catches up with you. And I was kind of a late bloomer. And quite honestly, I just was not that – I was an above average athlete in middle school and high school, but I, I wasn't anything like I was as a kid. And I can remember being on the, the middle school basketball team, and I was a bench warmer. I never started. And, uh, you know, I was, I was one of the, the last guys on the team. And I can just remember being crushed, you know, just crying so hard. Because this, you know, what I thought kind of made me significant, what I thought gave me identity uh, and being a good athlete, it was really kind of gone. And so, um, so that's the first thing is that these, uh, you know, these um, paradigms that are based on performance um, and based on achievement and effort, they're very unstable. Um, and, and also, too, if it's based on group, well, man, you might lose your friend group. Um, and, and, and that goes down the tubes. Because, you know, we all know that teenage friend groups are very unstable. Um, secondly, a second criticism, in addition to instability, is that these identities are substanceless. Here's what I mean by that. You know, today, there seems to be a kind of a, uh, an ethos and the culture of, you know, you love yourself. And whatever you are is great. Whatever you are is wonderful. And, you know, all kinds of self-acceptance. And there's, there's some merit in this, but the only problem is, is it, it's kind of like a self-engineered sense of worth. Like you've got to convince yourself um, of your worth. And, you know, as compared to, you know, a worth that's rooted in being made in the image of God, that you're sacred and you have sanctity because of that. Well, you know, if you're having to self-engineer it, there, it's, 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 there's not really any ontological substance. It, it, it's, it's kind of something you're just kind of making up. And so, you know, contrasting true, you know, that, that's kind of closes out the section here of talking about, you know, society, you know, uh, um, identity construction for teenagers and kind of society's models. 
we now kind of move into true identity that we find in Christ. And so first, you know, to go through that contrast again, you know, in the world, identity comes from within, whereas in Christ, it comes from the outside. Like identity is something that is given to us from God. Um, it's, not, it's not something that we earn, it's something that we receive. Secondly, in the world, I said identity is earned or, or achieved, whereas in Christ, your identity is given or imputed. It's something that you receive. Um, next, uh, in the world, identity comes exclusively from your own story. But in Christ, your identity is seen as your story under God's story. Um, and so you know, the, the place I want to go with this is Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through 29. And so um, to read that text, uh, starting in verse 23 of Galatians 3, it says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was your guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So I want to just kind of work through this and, and kind of pull out some things related to true identity. So first, verse 25, where it says, but now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, um, that guardian being the law. Paul is referring to this new era that Christ has ushered in, that whether it's the kingdom of God or the new creation or the age of the spirit, um, he, you know, this language that he's using, faith has come, is what you call an eschatological term, or it's a term that's talking about this new age, this new era that Jesus has, has, has brought about through his life, death, and resurrection. And so with that being said, if you're a Christian, you've been transferred into this new creation, into the kingdom of God, and now your identity, the dynamics of identity have changed. The old way, the society's way, the way of the law, the way of the world, that is no longer how you identify yourself. So, that, you know, there's a lesson in that, and that Andrew Root talks about how most parents in terms of identity formation have really adopted and espoused um, society's norms for that. And he is, you know, an application would be no, like, we want to think about our kids' identity purely in terms of the, the way that they're identified in the kingdom of God. So then next, he says, for as many of you were baptized into, oh, sorry, my bad, I skipped a line. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So when he says in Christ, that's, that's always a reference in Paul to being in union with Christ. And so there are a couple of facets that are in play here in this context. One is relational. You are now one with Christ. You're unified with Jesus. Um, and and so relationally speaking, you have that oneness, that communion and fellowship. But there's also a level where he's talking about identification. You are now identified with Christ. Um, you are, in some sense, the identity of Christ has been given to you through that union. Uh, and so, you know, when he says that this has come about, um, he says, you are all sons of God. So now you can see, you know, that is an identity there. That is a name that's being given. You're a son of God or a daughter of God. Um, and how does it come? It comes through faith. It's something you receive. It's not something that comes from within. It's not something that you regenerate. It's something that you receive from God. And so that is, I got to say, if there is one thing to hear in this lesson, it is like 
One, in terms of identity formation and that role that you have as a parent, you want your child to understand that their true identity is in Christ. It is something that has been given to them from Christ. And that means that it's permanent. It's stable. It, they cannot screw it up. There's no failure or success uh, that, that they can experience that is going to in any way interfere with this identity as a child of God um, and as um, one who is in Christ that they have received. It, can, it can't be messed up. And so then going to verse 27, he says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And so when he uses this term baptized, he's, he's not really using it so much in a sacramental way. He's using it more as a means of showing that you have crossed over a threshold. Um, your old identity of being a sinner um, who was apart from God and who was under the wrath of God and um, who was trying to earn your identity and earn your worth and earn your salvation, that is gone. You have crossed the threshold over into the new creation. And so now you are identified in terms of God. And when he says you have put on Christ, that terminology put on in the Greek, it, you know, it functions at a physical and a metaphorical level. At the physical level, it's just a term for putting on clothes. But at the metaphorical level, it's a, it's a term that's used quite a bit in the New Testament. It's even used, not the Greek word, but this term of putting on, being clothed with righteousness. is also used in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah. And so he's basically saying, like, you have put on Christ. Like, you've put on the identity of Jesus. You've put on the righteousness of Jesus as your identity. Um, and so that is truly who you are. And so then he goes into this rejection of external identities. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. And so now here's the thing. He's not, a, he's not denying the realities of, of ethnicity or the realities of, you know, being slave or free. He's not denying the reality of gender because, you know, he talks at length about, you know, some differences in gender and different roles in gender in Colossians and in Ephesians. Um, you know, we, we celebrate the diversity of ethnicities as, uh, you know, as a reflection of God's glory. So with that being said, um, uh, with that being said, the... Um, uh, Sorry, with that being said, though, he is rejecting secular externals as a primary form of identity. Your primary and truest form of identity is in Christ. It's in this new creation that you're a righteous, that you're a child of God, um, that you know you're you're one with Christ and in the family of God. And so, you know, that's the thing that's so dangerous about, you know parents trying so hard through activities and performance and, act and, and achievements to help their child form a identity, uh, you know, to facilitate identity formation is that it is operating as if you're no longer, you're, you're not in the new creation. You're going back to the flesh. You're going back um, to a very kind of dark, empty, unstable, fear-inducing uh, way of, of forming identity. There's nothing wrong with kids being on teams or being in groups. There's nothing wrong with having successes. Those are great things. It's a good thing for your child to use their gifts and, uh, and to work hard and, and to glorify God in that way. That's great. But we very much want to separate that from identity formation. We want them to view their identity truly um, in an objective sense in Christ. And so, you know, their true identity 
you know, it's, it's something that has real objective substance because it's been given to them by God through Christ. Um, and, you know, and also too, you know, we talked about how kids will try to identify themselves in terms of the group. You can see here in verse 29, how it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So he, it, that, there's an identification of being within the group. Like you are in the family of God. They sing that song at baptism, welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. When you become a believer, you're adopted into the family of God. And that's not just like you go to a local church, although that's a, a really good reinforcer and affirmation of that identity within the group. But you are one of the saints of God, both all those saints of God who are on the earth and all those saints of God who are in heaven above. You know, you're, you are, uh, have an identity in that group. Um, and so anyhow, so in terms of finding identity in the group, that's the group where we find it, in the family of God. Um, and then finally, you know, there's identity in the story. Um, we are, you're, you know, we do uh, get an understanding of who we are in terms of our past experiences. You know, some people might say, we well, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who, um, who grew up poor. Or I'm a person who grew up in a home with an alcoholic parent. And that, that's a part of your story. And that's, that's valuable in terms of understanding yourself. And that falls under God's story. Like your primary story is one who's been adopted into God's story of the redemption of the world. Um, as, as God's story of the one who's created, who's brought in the kingdom of God and, and the new creation. And you, you fall within that story. So your story is real and it's something good to understand and know, but it, it subordinates to God's story. And so finally, you know, just to go back to this gospel, gospel identity catechism, this is something that we um, want to say to kids regularly, that you as a parent can say to them regularly. And I would say, you know, starting in late elementary school is a good time for that. Who does the Spirit say you are? One who is washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? One who is forgiven and righteous. Who does the Father say you are? One who is adopt, an adopted child of God. Who are you? A sinner saved by grace. And so I'm not going to get in too much depth on these, but you know, when we say that you're one who is washed and clean, um, you know, that just speaks to the forgiveness of sins that's come. And it's important because kids make lots of mistakes that they feel ashamed of, particularly related to drugs, alcohol, and sex. And so to say, to say that your identity is one who is washed and clean, and that's who the Spirit says you are, is powerful. Who does Jesus say you are? It's one who's forgiven and righteous. Who does the Father say you are? An adopted child of God. There we go, coming back to that identity as a, as a, as a son or daughter of God and as one who's in the group of the family of God. And then finally, who are you? A sinner saved by grace. You know, that sin part is, it's still there. We're still sinners. Um, and we are, we are, we are righteous. We'll, we're simultaneously sinner and one who's justified. So I just encourage you, you know, when you're dropping off your middle school or you're dropping off your child in early elementary school, I mean, it's late elementary school, to go through these questions um, such that they are learning that their identity comes from God. It is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in the gospel. And it's not the group of friends they're in. It's not their achievements or their successes. It's not their good choices, their bad choices. It is something that is permanent with eternal substance given to them by God. And finally, you know, you might be saying, gosh, well, what happens when my kid, you know, is in eighth grade and they're too cool to do this? That's a time to, to text it to them. Text them this gospel catechism to remind them of their identity. When they're, when they're facing a big test, um, a tryout, something like that, send this to them, remind them that their value is in Christ, that their value is through the gospel. And then finally, too, um, just uh, this is a, when, they're, when they fail, when they make a big mistake, 
remind them, remind them of their gospel. Use the gospel catechism, you know, if, you know, either, you know, explicitly or just the concepts of it to remind them of their true identity that comes from God through Christ and the gospel. Um, I hope this is helpful and I hope this gives you some freedom um, that, you know, identity formation it really comes from God. And really our role is to remind them of this good news, this good news um, that they have a, a true, life-giving, permanent, stable, uh, joy-inducing identity that has been given to them by God through Christ. Thank you. I hope this is helpful and God bless you. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help you and your child.